Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us uh, by your Spirit through your Word. Uh, we ask that you uh, uh, please help us now as we look at this passage together. Uh, and we ask that, um, uh, that you would be at work uh, through your Spirit in each of our hearts, um, uh, causing us to follow his lead uh, to bear his fruit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many people, especially politicians, and, and I think especially American politicians, uh, like to talk about freedom. I say freedom this, freedom that, right? In fact, they even had freedom fries at one stage when they were not happy with the French. Instead of having French fries, they had freedom fries. You remember that? Yeah. But they talk about freedom as if we all understand what it means and we all agree on what it means. But actually, freedom is never an absolute thing, is it? It only exists in contrast to something else. Right? So when someone says, are you free? You've got to ask, you free from what? Am I free from paying taxes? Am I f free from lice? Uh, am I free to marry? Am I free to leave the country? I am free is never an unqualified statement. If I'm free from all the obligations of citizenship in one country, I'm not actually free to receive the privileges of citizenship in that country. You can't be free in every sense of the term. So if someone says, are you free? You have to ask, free from what? Now in the first verse of our passage today, Paul says that we are called to freedom. And the freedom he's talking about there is freedom from slavery to the law. Right? You get that from the context of Galatians. In chapter 3, verse 23, the Jews were held captive under the law. Because under the law, they had to do in order to be righteous. And they couldn't keep it. They could never do enough. And so they fell under the law's curse. But actually, this righteousness by doing is not unique to the law of Moses. In fact, when you think about it, God will judge everyone according to what we have done. Do good and get rewarded. Do wrong and get punished. That's the basic principle of how the world works, the ABCs. And so Paul could say in chapter 4, verse 3, that those who are under the law were also enslaved to these elementary principles of the universe. But it's not just the Jews who are under the elementary principles. Actually, it's the same for the Gentiles as well. In chapter 4, verse 9, he says, when they were under idols, they were enslaved to the weak and elementary principles of the world. Whatever system of belief they were bound to, whatever idols they had, they, were, they still had to perform. In the end, they were under the system, do good and get rewarded, do wrong and get punished. It's all about doing. And unlike the Jews who were under the law, so actually, whether it's Jews or Gentiles, everyone was under sin. Everyone was enslaved to sin. But Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law. He paid the penalty of sin on the cross so that we can escape from, from being under the law or under the, the elementary principles. We no longer do in order to be saved. Like Abraham who believed God's promises and God credited to him as righteousness, we hear the gospel, we trust in Jesus, God considers us righteous. We are justified as we are declared righteous by God, the judge of the world, by faith. And so when Paul says in chapter 5, verse 13, you are called to freedom, 
It's freedom from being under the law of Moses, as I said, for the Jews. It's also being freedom from being under the idols for the Gentiles. It's being freedom from being under the, the elemental principles. It's the freedom of having to do in order to get right with God. It's freedom from performance-based religion. It's freedom from the slavery of having to try, 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 try to do what is right and then fail, 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 remain under God's condemnation. But it's not freedom to sin. You see, some people might think that if you're not under the law of Moses, then you just simply do whatever you, whatever comes naturally. Whatever you naturally want to do, you do lah. Not under the law of Moses lah. You're saved by, not by doing, but by hearing and believing. But Paul warns in 5.13, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And the flesh there is our natural human self. And right now our natural human self is sinful. Right? Uh, now, not all flesh is, is essentially sinful, necessarily. Jesus came in the flesh and he was sinless. When human beings were first created, we were sinless as well. But since the fall, we are corrupted by sin. Our natural human self is sinful. Doing what comes naturally will lead us into sin. The natural person whom I was born as is sinful and it's like that for everyone. It is who we are in Adam. Now Paul warns us that the flesh might want to use the fact that we are no longer under the law of Moses as an excuse to sin. And he says, instead of using your freedom to serve the flesh, use it, verse 13, to serve each other in love. It is God's will for us to love God and to love our neighbors. And in the end, actually the law of Moses was an expression of that. The whole law of verse 14 is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. The opposite of that would be, in verse 15, to bite and devour one another and ultimately be consumed by one another. The flesh will lead us to attack each other, to hurt each other, to say bad things about it. You say something about me, I'll say something about you. Now. You do this, never end. And in the end, that will destroy each other and destroy the church. That will be natural but that will be from the sinful nature. But there is something that constrains sin for the Christian and leads us in the other direction. And it's not the law itself. What leads you away from sin is not the law, but the Spirit. Have a look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, what stops you from gratifying the desires of the flesh? It is walking by the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Uh, in the Old Testament, Moses' father-in-law tells him he should make the people know the way in which they must walk, what they must do, right? And so the way you walk is your lifestyle, the way you live your life. When you walk by something, that's the thing that, that governs the way you live, step by step by step. Right? Um, when people of Israel were sent into exile because they didn't obey the law, God made a promise to them through the prophet Ezekiel. We saw one of those promises in Ezekiel 11. Let me show you another one, a parallel one, uh, in Ezekiel 36. He promised that one day he would bring them back from the exile. And then in 36, 25, he says he will wash them clean from their sin. 
And then the very next verse, in verse 36, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And in the next verse, verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Walking by the spirit. See, God's spirit will enable people to walk in his statutes, to keep his rules, to keep his law. So somehow or other, the statutes and rules are still around. But it's the Spirit who causes them to walk in them. And this is after he has forgiven them and washed them clean from their sins. So they're not obeying him in order to be washed clean, in order to be justified. He has saved his people by his grace, and now by his grace he gives them the Spirit, and the Spirit will cause them to keep his laws, not in order to be saved, but because they have been. Now, when you see rules and statutes, does that mean Christians still go obey the law of Moses? Well, we've already seen time and time again in Galatians that we are not under the law of Moses, right? We've seen it over again. The law of Moses has been fulfilled by Christ. He's kept it fully from the heart like no one else can. Uh, the law of Moses has been fulfilled in Christ. He was the one the law was pointing forward to. So the law of Moses fulfilled. It's not operational anymore. In that sense, we are not under the law. We are not. Imagine you go back to your old school to visit, and you're the guest of honor at the school's prize-giving ceremony. Are you under the school rules anymore? No, you're not. Right, if someone, a prefect at the gate says, oh, sorry, you can't come in because you, know, you don't have your school uniform on. No, 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 no. Right? I know I look young, but actually I'm, I'm not a student here. Right? I've graduated from the school. I'm not under those rules anymore. And friends, the same for us. We're not under the law of Moses. We don't need to be circumcised to come in. We're like the grown-up who's visiting their old school, but don't have to wear the uniform anymore. Right? Now, on the other hand, when you go back to your school as the guest of honor at the prize-giving day, would you simply come late, leave your shirt hanging out, swear the teacher, smoke cigarettes, distribute drugs, talk during assembly? Not under the law, what? Not under the school rules, what? Of course you wouldn't do that. School rules, you're not under that. They're the ones who prohibit this. No, 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 no. You're not under the school rules, but you still got to behave. In fact, you need to behave better now because of who you are. You don't need the school rules to tell you how to, you do it of your own volition because you're not scared the prefect's going to book you. You do it because you're all grown up and you're the guest of honor at the school's prize-giving ceremony. You better behave. Your motivation is internal, not external, not the school rules. Does it make sense? It's a little bit like that. Lah. We're not under the law. We are led by the Spirit. And we are led by the Spirit to love God and to seek to obey Him. We are led by the Spirit to obey God's word from the heart, not just as law. We are led by the Spirit to love God and love our neighbor. And when we do that, we are actually fulfilling the law. You see, the law of Moses was an expression of God's will, his desire that we should love, applied in that Old Testament context. For the people of Israel at that time. It is part of Scripture. And we know from 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work, right? <laughs> and so every part of the Bible 
including the law, has application for us. But we don't apply it directly to us as if we were directly under it. Rather, we see how it is fulfilled in Christ first and then apply it to us now. And it's the Spirit who teaches us to do that. The Spirit gave us the Old Testament that points us to Christ. The Spirit gave us the New Testament that shows us the fulfillment of the Old. And we see how the New Testament uses the Old Testament. We see what are the commands in the Old Testament that are repeated or transformed and how they are transformed in the New. It's the Spirit showing us how this applies to us in Christ. And the Spirit still speaks through those words which he gave all those years ago. Not as the law of Moses that we must obey in order to be saved, but as the living, abiding word of God, which points us to his Son and teaches us to obey him. And the Spirit not only speaks to us, but he also works in us. Remember how God said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The Spirit opens our hearts to these words. He gives us the faith to believe them. He gives us hearts that long to obey them. He gives us the power to do that. It is God, by his Spirit, who causes us to walk in his ways. It is God who enables us to fulfill the law in the way that applies to us today, as Paul will talk about later, as the law of Christ. For it is God by his spirit who enables us to love. And so now as we read the Old Testament, as we read the Torah, we're not reading it like the Jews. Their law was external, showing them their sinfulness, condemning them for their failure to keep it. For us, the spirit is internal. He points us to Christ in the gospel, enables us to see the, the world and the scriptures in a, in a Christ-centered way, motivates us to obey God's word because we have been saved, pours God's love into our hearts by showing us the cross, enabling us to trust in Christ crucified there. We are not like slaves reading the Old Testament as law that condemns. We are reading it as children who are not under the law, but who delight to see the character of their father expressed there and seek to imitate him. We are reading it as people who have been freed from the burden of performance that the law brought, but now freely asking, how can I serve and please God from the heart? We're reading it as people who are not under the law, but as people who are led by the Spirit. And so Paul says in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Let the Spirit do all those things. Let the Spirit direct how you lead. Your lifestyle be governed by the Spirit. And if you do that, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Because you see, verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The Spirit will pull you in one way, the flesh will pull you in a different way. And you know what? You have the Spirit, and you also got the flesh. So you want to do both. But you can't do both. If you're walking by the Spirit, you won't be gratifying the desires of the flesh. The way to avoid sin is not to put yourself back under the law of Moses. If we're led by the Spirit, verse 18 says, you're not under the law. No, no, no. We are justified by faith, not under the law. We don't do to be saved. We trust God's promises in Jesus. God gives us a Spirit so we know Him as our Father. We avoid sin not by observing the law, but by walking by the Spirit. So, let the Spirit 
keep leading you back to the cross. Let the Spirit keep making Christ big in your horizons. Let the Spirit keep speaking to you in the Word. Let the Spirit keep assuring you that you're a child of your Heavenly Father. Let the Spirit keep motivating you to love and obey Him. And moment by moment, when the Spirit leads you one way and the flesh wants you to go the other, choose to follow the lead of the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, what does it look like when someone is gratifying the desires of the flesh? What do our natural selves produce when left to ourselves? Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, right? That's sex outside of marriage, before, during, or after. Impurity. Moral filth. Right? That's sexual sin seeing as being dirty. Sensuality. Again, being sexually reckless or promiscuous. Idolatry. The worship of anything apart from God, usually statues or images. Sorcery, being involved in witchcraft or black magic or, or maybe even drug abuse. Enmity, being hostile or hateful to someone. Strife, keeping on quarreling and bickering with people. Jealousy. Fits of anger, losing our temper with people all the time. Rivalries coming from selfish ambition. Dissensions. Chuchu here, chuchu there, causing division among people. Divisions breaking into factions. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies, particularly wild partying, and things like that. And Paul warns them in verse 21, as he warned them before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If your life and mine are characterized by the works of the flesh, then we are not walking by the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying we're never going to fall into any of those things, of course. Even those walking by the Spirit still have the flesh. Huh? Sometimes we fail, we do the wrong thing, we need to repent and come back to Jesus. But if our lives are characterized by these things, by the works of the flesh, then we really need to ask ourselves if we're truly saved. Because God gives His Spirit to those whom He washes clean. And the Spirit makes us God's children. It's the Spirit who enables us to inherit God's kingdom. And the Spirit actually leads us in a different direction. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Well, it's there in verse 22. It's, you see, it's many different fruit. Right? Not just one. Um, um, but it's not like... Different, not, it's not like the gifts, right? Right? You, you got this gift, you got this gift, you got this gift, not the same gift. It's it not say, oh, okay, okay, you know, um, uh, Paul's got, got, got love and, and Kelly's got joy and, and Chiquette's got peace. No, 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 it's, actually, it's, it's one fruit. It's fruit of the Spirit. Right? And it's expressed in different ways. Uh, and the first, of course, is love. Love for God, love for Jesus, love for God's people, love for the world. Joy that comes from knowing that God loves you. And that your eternal future is secure no matter what else happens here. Peace. Either an internal peace that coming, comes from trusting God, look after you, whatever the situation, or, or peace that characterizes the relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Patience. Patience with others, which actually also comes from our awareness of how God's been patient to us in Christ. 
Kindness, again, response to the kindness God has shown us in Jesus. Goodness or generosity. Again, Spirit shows us God's goodness and generosity to us and we respond to others. Faithfulness, being the kind of person people can trust because you serve, well, that's the kind of God you serve, isn't it? Gentleness, which includes humility and courtesy, like Jesus, and self-control. That's the kind of thing the Spirit produces in people's lives. And you can't legislate for that. You can't make a law about people being gentle or kind. Right? It's got to come from within. There's no law. It's not imposed from the outside. Right? Apples will grow on apple trees, mango and mango trees, best of all, durian and durian trees. Right? And the fruit of the Spirit grows in people who are walking by the Spirit. And it grows. Fruit grows. It doesn't appear part suddenly. Uh, you won't be perfect. You've still got the flesh pulling you in the other direction. But as the Spirit does His work, step by step, your life will change. Moment by moment, day by day, as you follow the Spirit's lead, as He leads you to holiness, instead of giving in to the flesh, your character changes. Step by step, and the fruit grows, little by little, to characterize the life of the person who is walking in the Spirit. And if that describes you, then you are keeping the law in the most profound way. End of verse 23 says, Against such things there is no law, because the law is fulfilled in the command to love each other. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. So we've seen that the Spirit and the flesh want very different and, in fact, incompatible things. But verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In saying yes to Jesus as Lord, actually we already said no to the flesh. Actually we decided already, long time ago, when we we put our trust in Jesus, we said yes to Jesus, we say no to the flesh. Remember your baptism vows? I turn to Christ, I repent of my sins, I renounce evil. That renouncing evil is I renounce the devil and all his works, the empty display and false values of the world, the sinful desires of the flesh. We already decided when we said yes to Jesus, we're saying no to the flesh. Because we know, I can't say I trust in Jesus, but I want to live by the flesh. We can't say I belong to Jesus, but I don't want Jesus to run my life. No. When we came to Christ, we already chose against the flesh. Doesn't mean it's not there. Doesn't mean it doesn't try to influence us. Doesn't mean that, you know, it's not as if it's like hanging on the cross saying, hey, come, come, let me down, let me down, you know. But we've actually already said a decisive no to the flesh. Already decided, decision made. Don't have to think about it. You already decided when you became a Christian. And we've been given new life by the Spirit. So now it's just a matter of putting that decision into action, isn't it? And following the Spirit. Apostle Paul says in verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. All right? That means, since the Spirit gave us life, let's follow, let's conform to Him. Let's keep in step with the way He's leading us. Now, that's not automatic. Right? If it was automatic, Paul wouldn't have to tell us to do that. Let us do this means we've got to do it lah. Right? Let us do it. We already made the decision once and for all to crucify the flesh. Now we put it into practice, day by day, moment by moment. We've been given new life by the Spirit. 
need to keep in step with him. And since the Spirit has given us life, let's live his way. Now from verse 26 all the way to chapter 6, verse 10, Paul gives us some examples of that. All right, today we're just looking at the first one in verse 26. Next week we will go the other ones. But um, verse 26 also links back to the example back in verse 15 and it kind of bookends this section. Right, it's a negative example, uh, something people who are keeping in step with the Spirit will try to avoid. Verse 26, let us not become conceited. Let's not be conceited. The word conceited there means that we have an attitude that we think we deserve the praise and renown. Right? Uh, it's thinking too highly of ourselves, or thinking too much of ourselves, thinking of ourselves too much. Uh, and that's a danger, isn't it? especially it's a danger for anyone who's involved in ministry, which is, which is most of us. Because the flesh will want it to be all about us. Uh, but it's not about us, it's about Jesus. And if we think it's about us, and we think it's, we deserve the praise and renown and recognition, you know what's going to happen? We might, on the one hand, in verse 26, provoke one another, end up challenging each other to get the recognition that we think that we are due. We make it into a competition or develop rivalries. Or we might just not do that, just quietly envy one another. Keep looking at the, the recognition or position or attention that other people get and we're jealous because we think we deserve that. And when we compare ourselves with others then we be, and become jealous of them, then that affects us, isn't it? And it affects our relationship with them and the people around them. And it affects... That's fleshly behavior. Lah. Paul says to the Galatians, the Spirit says to us, don't do that. Don't go there. You've repudiated the flesh. You've been given a new life by the Spirit. Don't go and behave in a fleshly kind of way, which is a natural kind of way. But it's fleshly. It's not about you. You're not rivals. You're not competitors with each other. You're brothers and sisters who are helping each other to godliness. So don't use your freedom to feed the flesh, but to serve each other in love. More examples in chapter 6 next week. So let me summarize and synthesize. We've seen some things that are true about those who trust in Christ. First of all, we live by the Spirit. The Spirit's given us new life through Christ. Secondly, we are led by the Spirit, so we're not under the law. What changes our lives and our behavior is not the threat of punishment from the law, but the transforming work of the Spirit. Thirdly, we have crucified the flesh with its desires and passions. We said no to our natural selves. We said yes to Jesus as Lord. And those three things are true of everyone who trusts in Jesus. And so those things are true. What do we do? We should walk by the Spirit. Follow the Spirit's lead. Work with him as he seeks to change us into the image of Christ. And if we do that, we will not be gratifying the desires of the flesh because they are not consistent with the Spirit's lead. And in particular, we should love one another rather than being conceited, provoking each other, and envying each other. If we do follow the Spirit's lead, if we do walk by him, then we should expect to see his fruit in our lives. But if we live to gratify the flesh, we will see this other set of behaviors that are symptomatic of a heart that is not led by the Spirit and will not inherit the kingdom. So in conclusion, let me ask you a question. The question is for you, not for anyone else. 
Answer to God and yourself, not to anyone else. And don't think about other people, what they should be answering. You think about you. What predominates your life? Fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh? That's a diagnostic question, really. If you're showing the fruit of the Spirit, you see that this fruit is springing from a faith in Christ and the gospel, then be grateful for the Spirit's work in your life. You're not under the law. You're led by the Spirit. Doesn't mean you don't struggle against the flesh. Of course you do. Sometimes when you exhibit fleshly behavior, you need to be reminded like you've crucified the flesh. You already said no. You've been given new life by the Spirit, so you should keep in step with Him. But at the end of the day, the Spirit is changing you into the image of Christ. Little by little, into holiness and godliness. You're learning to obey God's will from the heart and to live your life in step with Him. But if your life is characterized by the works of the flesh, the answer is not try harder not to do it. It's not work harder at producing the fruit of the Spirit. The answer is first and foremost, repent and believe the gospel. Stop trying to get right with God by your own performance. Look at, the, look at what you're doing. You need to repent. You need to ask God to forgive you. You need to come back to the cross. Trust in Jesus and what he has done. Listen to the gospel message the Spirit brings you. Jesus is Lord. He died on the cross for you. He rose again and will return to judge. Say no to the flesh and say yes to Jesus as your Lord once and for all. Trust him to save you by his grace alone and look forward to the transforming work of the Spirit in your life. For if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have saved us through the death of your Son and that you have given us your Spirit so that we know you as our Father and call you Abba Father. I thank you that we've been justified by faith. We're no longer under the law. Thank you that this Spirit who has given us life points us to Jesus, enables us to appreciate the love, the grace, the forgiveness that you've shown us in him and his death for us, and inclines our hearts to respond in love for you and for others. We pray that your spirit continue to lead us to holiness and godliness, to being more like Jesus, your son. Father, we are your people. We have repudiated the flesh. We have said no. We have crucified it. And yet while we wait for the Lord's return, we, we continue to struggle with it. Please would you enable us to follow the Spirit's lead and moment by moment to keep saying no to the flesh. May we be a people who are characterized by the Spirit's fruit not just individually, but in our community life together. 
May we not be conceited and provoke and envy each other, but may we love one another from the heart and so fulfill the intent of the law. We ask, Heavenly Father, for your transforming work of your Spirit in our lives and in our community. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.